You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams, and we have a full house of people tonight and today, depending on when you're listening. Uh, one guest whom I just adore. She is truly a renaissance woman in the poker world and maybe the most articulate person I have ever spoken to in any world, certainly in the poker world, incredibly articulate speaker about poker and what makes it tick. Her name is Jan Fisher. And we'll be talking to her. The next guy, well, we're going to be talking to the chairman of the board of directors of Twin River Casino, just recently granted a full casino license. His name is John Taylor. We're going to be asking him about whether or not they're going to have poker. Stay tuned and find out. at House of Cards want to wish you the happiest of holidays. And in celebration of the holiday season, we would like to present that beautiful holiday favorite, Silent Night, sung by that wonderful soprano, Chewbacca. Are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration. Plus, a free extra gift so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16 at adamandeve.com. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Card player, gambler, scoundrel, you'd like it.
Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams. And as promised, we are joined by, well, I want to explain my connection to this woman. You know, if you're a gregarious person in the poker world, you meet lots of people and you make at least superficial friends with a whole bunch of people and acquaintances. But for me, at least, there are very few people whom I consider to be a real close friend in the poker world. And this is one of them. This is Jan Fisher, who I'm going to embarrass a little bit. I want you to know who she is. She's going to talk about that herself. But I want you to know um, who she is in the poker world. If you don't already, you may. If you read poker magazines or online sites, you may be familiar with her. She's a frequent longtime writer about poker strategy. She's also one of the uh, partners in the Card Player Cruises, which is one of the great cruise poker cruise companies maybe the the greatest she's a semi-professional poker player used to support herself from paying poker entirely now has lots of other interests she is a true ambassador of the game she travels a lot and spreads interest in poker all over the world she's one of the founders of the tournament directors association she is the founder of poker gives which is the premier charity in the poker world she is a member of the women in the poker hall of fame and is the MC at their annual event and she is, among other things, an instructor in the World Poker Tours Boot Camp. I bring you Jan Fisher. Jan, are you there? I am here, Ashley. Thank you so much for that wonderful welcome and introduction. Uh, you and I do go back quite a ways, and I, I don't even remember ever not knowing you, but I know that it was your gregariousness and friendliness at the table that certainly made us become lifelong friends, and I've enjoyed every moment of it, and I thank you for having me here. Well, I'm happy to have you, and I was hoping maybe you could start by just filling in the picture a little bit about how it is you came to be who you are what your background is that brought you to uh, the poker world and where you are today in it? Well, that's an interesting question. I actually started coming to Las Vegas back in the mid-70s, right before I was 21. My mother was a casino guest. Uh, She and my father came on junkets, and my dad did some amateur acting, and he was in a play a couple times when there were trips she wanted to go on, so she invited me to come with her. I was about 18 or 19 at the time, and I came to Las Vegas, fell in love with it. I'm from Seattle, Washington, and I'd never been anywhere where the sun shone every day. And uh, I decided that when I was 21, this was something that I could definitely get into. Uh, Then I found my way to a poker table from having played blackjack and found out that uh, not only were you playing against the other players rather than against the house, but that for dealers, they kept their own tips. And I I knew that if I came here, I would have to get a job. And being a poker dealer is what I decided I wanted to do. And a few months after I turned 21, I left uh, a very good job working for Eddie Bauer. I was a teamster, uh, and I left Seattle right after I turned 21, and I've been in Vegas ever since. Uh, I've been, been here since 77, lived in the same house since 78. Wow. Well, if you were here, in, if you were here, if you were there, because you're in Las Vegas, just for people that don't know, Jan lives uh, in Las Vegas when she's not traveling, which is uh, actually, what percentage of your time would you say you're actually on the road? That's a, you know, you know, I should probably figure it out. It, sometimes it seems like it's seventy-five percent of the time, but it's you know, realistically, it's probably more like sixty percent. And actually, I'm I'm actually slowing down a little bit. I've been home for a month right now. I'm leaving town tomorrow, but this month I've been home is the first month I can remember being home in probably ten years, and it's it's really been nice. I've watched more t- more mindless TiVo on my TV and gone to movies and had lunch with friends, and I'm loving every second of it. Well, that's good. Tell our listeners a little bit about the world that was Las Vegas in 77. It was such a long time ago. It's changed so much. Can you describe 
uh, what it was like back then compared to the way it is now. Oh, sure. Las Vegas, you wouldn't even recognize it if you came there, came here then and, and hadn't been back and then visited now. Fremont Street, where they have the Fremont Street experience, used to be a two-way road where cars drove and you could actually park on Fremont Street. Uh, there was smoking in the casino. There was uh, prohibitive abuse in the casino. I mean, uh, not just verbal abuse, but physical abuse in the casinos. There were very few women in the card rooms. Uh, the mob ran the town. Uh, I bought my house in 78. I live about three miles as the crow flies behind uh, the wind. And I was at the edge of town, and I couldn't decide if I wanted to live so far out of town. There were 165,000 people in Las Vegas when I moved here. We peaked uh, probably in, two, in 2005, 6, 7, something like that, at around 2.2 million. I know we're under 2 million now, but uh, so it's... Wow. That's over just, 10 times it's bigger. Nuts. It's been nuts. And, and the, the strip, I mean, the lights on the strip, the strip used to have used to have dinner shows, you know, with headline performers and a maitre d' who you'd grease to get the best seats. It, it's really changed a lot. Every single theater had live music, a full orchestra. Uh, you know, the Rat Pack played, Elvis played. Actually, Elvis died the weekend I moved, the week I moved to town. I mean, it, it was an entirely different town back then. Well, what did you like about the poker world back then? that doesn't exist anymore, and vice versa. Other than the smoking. I know you and I are big anti-smoking people. You're, by the way, people that don't know Jan, she is the picture of a healthy middle-aged person or a young person, but wonderfully fit. You and I both hate smoking. But other than smoking, what don't you like, didn't you like back then that you like today, and what did you like back then that you don't see so much today? Wow, that's an interesting question. I certainly don't miss the unbelievable abuse that, that dealers and players were subject to, uh, and I did not like the, the fire-at-will policy that card rooms had. Uh, I, I was fired for one, from one job. I was fired from most every job I had the first couple of years I was in town because at that time it wasn't who you knew. It was, well, can I say who you blew? Uh, it, it definitely was a was a an old boys club, and uh, if you didn't know somebody, you you would be the scapegoat. If something happened and they needed somebody to use as a scapegoat, you would be it. And I was it because I didn't play the game that a lot of the women played, and there weren't there weren't a whole lot of women in the in the game. Uh, what do I miss? I miss the fact that seven card stud used to be the main game, and I know yeah. you can relate to this because yes, you're a seven card stud player. Seven card stud was what we played back then. We also played some six card stud, but quarter. Five cent ante, one to three dollar limit, or twenty five cent ante, one three six on the end. That was the main game. Then there was this new game, Hold'em, that came to town. Then there was this really new game, Omaha, that came to town. We didn't play games that started with B's. You know, we didn't play you know multiple. <laughs> Badoogie, Badoosie. We, right. we played draw. It was draw high, one draw. That was it. Uh, but the card rooms are clean now. They're beautiful. They're palaces. Card rooms used to be little areas in the back of a casino where. If you knew somebody, you could find your way to the card room. Now they're built up as they're built as places that you would want to go, and you'd go play poker while your friend or your partner went and did something else. They're destinations. They were just conveniences back then. So it's so different, so very, very different. That's all for this segment. We'll be back after a break.
The key to winning poker is knowledge. And winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by World Series of Poker veteran Ashley Adams, can give you that knowledge. Cash games, small tournaments. Whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Call us at 609-474-HOCR and leave a message for Ashley and the rest of the House of Cards crew. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. Call the hotline or send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com and don't forget to visit our website at houseofcardsradio.com and follow the show on Twitter and Facebook. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you can send to having your message played on the air. You're listening to the House of Cards. Join us online at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Quiet, young man. Can't you see we're having a poker game? Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. For the listeners who tuned in, we're talking to Jan Fisher. Is there a, a favorite place that you have to play? Yeah, but it's not in Las Vegas. <laughs> where Where is it? Uh, I would have to say Commerce because I'm a sick puppy. Uh, I love playing poker at Commerce. Uh, the players don't necessarily behave particularly well, but I find it very amusing. I find it hugely entertaining. The games are unbelievably good. And mind you, I'm playing in the middle in the middle limit games. So I'm not playing in the entry level games because I think that the rake is cost prohibitive there. But in the in the middle level games where I play, uh, it, it's just a lot of businessmen who have too much money, and there's so many different nationalities and different cultures there that converge over something as as painful as poker and as beautiful as poker, that when all these cultures converge, you have some real amazing interactions with people. And, uh, you know, I'm at the stage of my career where I pretty much don't take crap from anybody. I never I never did. But I'll always intervene on a dealer or another player's account. Uh, but I just find it hugely entertaining, and, and the action is always amazing. For listeners uh, I also, who don't I love, uh, know, just, just, just a second, for listeners who don't I, know. I have been there since Kathy Raymond left. Uh, I love what she's done with the uh, the Venetian here. Of course, any of the big card rooms are, are wonderful because they have selections of what to play. My favorite place of all, though, probably is the World Series during the World Series because they play the one game I like to play, and that's middle limit Omaha high-low split, which is really, really hard to find these days. So I know I've got a game there at least during the World Series. For listeners that don't know, the Commerce Club is the largest poker room in the world. It's in Los Angeles, and it's known for having very big limits, but tons of middle limit games, low limit games, tournaments all the time. Uh, What do you think of the food in casinos. Are you a big fan of eating while you play, or do you tend to leave the table to go eat? 
When I'm at Commerce, I always eat at the table. Uh, they, they treat the players royally. The food is second to none. Uh, that's not so much the case in Las Vegas. They don't have table-side service. Uh, I'm totally appalled when I see somebody at the table eating something like chicken wings or anything with their fingers where they're licking their fingers, touching the cards. To me, that's just absolutely disgusting. I'm a knife and a fork person, and I believe in washing my hands, but uh, a lot of times you're playing time games where you, you really can't afford to get up from the table to play, but Commerce takes such good care of you, and a lot of places do. Uh, a lot of the, the Las Vegas Cardinals now are using swipe cards where you can earn wonderful benefits on your cards so that when you're done playing, you can go and eat. I don't I'm not a big fan of people who leave the table to play, whether they're play, paying in a, playing in a time game or not, because I hate that they leave for 45 minutes or an hour to go eat, leaving their seat open. Pick your chips up, go eat, and come back. The game will still be there. And that's why I, in, at Commerce I prefer to eat at the table. But the food is wonderful. The food is, food is just absolutely incredible. Um, let me ask you this, Jan. I'm just, you've been around the poker world since, as you said, since the late 70s, actually middle mm-hmm. 70s. You've known a lot of people in the poker world. Are there any folks that you admire particularly that you can share with us and people that have had a positive influence on you as a player and as a a luminary in the poker world? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my best friend and business partner, Linda Johnson. What she has done single-handedly for the poker industry is just incredible, and she was aptly honored for it by, by earning her way into the Hall of Fame last year. Uh, and I, you know, I think that the day of dinosaurs like, like her are probably you know, coming to an end as far as getting into to Hall of Fame because it is still a boys' club. She's been wonderful for the game. I think Mike Sexton has been terrific for the game and terrific for, for being a mentor and a friend to me. Uh, people like Barry Greenstein, Jay Heimowitz. Uh, I think Daniel's wonderful for the game. I mean, I think there are so many role models in, in the game that, that go back a long, long ways. I mean, I could mention people who, who nobody would even know anymore that I think paved the way. I think there's a lot of card managers who've paved the way and done so much, who've helped to make me who and what I am today by being mentors to me, by talking to me, by hiring me, by explaining things to me as I was coming up in the world. There there are a lot of good people in poker. All of my best friends are involved in poker. I, I think that quality people find their way to poker. Uh, there are some absolutely not quality people in poker, but so are there in any anything you're going to do. I think that in poker, a handshake still means what a handshake is supposed to mean. And more often than not, you're going to be treated right by people. Oh, that's a very good answer. I think, well, we've had Linda on the show. I think we've had Mike Sexton on, too. I, I know we have. And, uh, uh, it, it, and that reminds me, Mike Carroll's another one. Mike, Mike Carroll, I just think, is a, is a tremendous asset to the game and, and someone who goes back years and years and years and has stood the test of time. I want to ask you about some of the places you've toured to and you've been to with your card player crews and also on your own. But before I do, I want to talk about the game of poker in general. You've seen enormous changes. You've mentioned some of them already. Do you ever think about changes that you would like to see in the game going forward, things you'd like to see differently, either in card rooms and tournaments, uh, games that are played going forward? Well, it's an interesting question because the things that I would like to see going forward – 
don't really make sense for management because it's not what the players want. Huh. Management has has listened to what players want. On, on card player cruises, we didn't have no limit games for a long time because we didn't want to have them. And then it kind of just didn't make sense because the players wanted to, to play no limit. I'm a limit player. I prefer limit. Tournaments, no limit is fine. But I think that for an everyday player, I would love to see limit games come back. I would love to see more Omaha. I would love to see more stud. But the reality is right now, the way we've created it with the television and the internet and whatnot, the players, for the most part, want to play No Limit. They want to play that TV game. They want to play the game where they can push all their chips in because it's exciting and it's very easy to learn. It doesn't have the nuances that Limit games have. So I find that a little bit disappointing that what I want really can't happen. Okay, I, I get that, and I'm in some ways very similar to you. I like the days when there were seven stud games all over the place and when you could find a Mid-Limit Omaha 8 game. That was nice, too. Um, I'm thinking in terms of innovations that maybe we haven't seen yet, like, uh, oh, I don't know, duplicate poker or team poker or, um, you know, skill poker games where you play against. I mean, I just actually just had a guy on that was talking about how, you know, the Wilson software, Jen, where you have uh, a lineup of eight or nine players that are all computer generated and you play against them. He was saying you could, and there's a site now where you can play against eight or nine people and your opponents play against the same lineup, the same exact hands, and you see who does better against the same automated players. Uh huh. Yeah, I actually know something about that because I played. Uh, oh my gosh, where was it? Uh, oh, I'm, it's escaping me now. It was somewhere down south. I played in 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 a duplicate tournament, oh, and really? I actually came in second in the tournament. Uh, but there were a lot of reasons why it wasn't why duplicate poker was not conducive to a good game, whereas bridge is. And part of that is because when you're playing against artificial intelligence or you're playing against real intel, you're, you're playing against real people. What they do depends on whether or not you see a turn card. How much they bet makes a difference on how you react. So you're really not ever playing the same hand because the hand will end differently or the pot will be a different that's true. size. That's true. In bridge, you, that's right. Your decisions mean something different. It's a wonderful concept. I love the concept, but it really never came of much. I've also been involved a little bit in team poker, and I actually have a friend in Fort Collins right now who's trying to change some TDA rules uh, with the Gaming Commission so that he can actually have a team poker uh, event, because obviously the TDA has rules against collusion, and his team poker event would have it where if you get to a final table with one of your team members, you're actually allowed to, to dust chips off to them, which to me is not against the TDA intent, because the, right. the intent Right. The tournament is for somebody in your team to win. But I think I think that the team aspect of it can be very interesting, and I think that that has a lot more potential to go further than the uh, than the duplicate aspect of it, because the duplicate just didn't work for so many reasons. Yes, I had never thought about what you just said, that in bridge you're seeing every card played, right. every hand that you play, you're, you're seeing every single card played. In right. poker, you often don't. Out to the end, whereas in, in Hold'em, you know, I might raise you, you fold. Now we don't even see that. That's flop. right. Whereas if, you know, at, at the next table somebody raises and somebody comes over the top, now that hand comes out completely differently. That's right. Well, that's very interesting. I never thought about that. I, I want to move because we, we don't have that much time left. I want to move to your poker cruising and your poker travels. Can you tell us some of the more interesting places that you have been that you have seen poker played, and that you have toured to in the world? Wow. Well, I've played, I've played poker 
pretty much everywhere in the rule in the world. I mean, I've I've saw I've seen poker in Estonia. I've played poker in Asia. I've played I I haven't played poker, but I've seen poker in Greece. I've played poker in Asia. I've played poker in South America. I've played poker in Canada. Obviously, I've played poker all over the United States. Uh, Where? Let me stop you. Wait, 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 Jen. I just want to stop because you you go given a very quick tour. You said you've played in Asia. Where have you played? And uh, what are some interesting uh, things that came up in the poker world in Asia, if any? Well, um, I should probably preface that to say that I haven't actually played poker in Asia. I've been to the poker rooms in Asia. The, in Asia, the rake is cost prohibitive to play, in my opinion. Uh, when we did a cruise to Asia, we had poker on the ship, and a lot of our customers went over to Macau. And they would come back with all these stories about the poker and how great it was. And i say, well, cool. Well, how much was the rake? Well, I don't know. No, really, how much was the rake? <laughs> well, it was, you know, it was $33 a hand. Okay, well, I'm raising the rake in the card room here tonight. I mean, if you're going to go across the, the, the bay there and play poker in Macau, it's just, it, it's insane. And then they say, oh, but the games were so good you could beat it. Not well, true. you know, you and I both know that that's totally not true. You, you know, you start taking anywhere from a 13 to a $33 rake, uh, it can't be beaten. Right. Same thing in Amsterdam. I sat down at a game in Amsterdam, and after one hand, I realized, ooh, I should have been a little more aware of what I was doing before I sat down because they, too, they had a, I believe it was a $26 cap on the rake. Um, oh, my God. So, so I've seen a lot of these crazy cartons but not played in them. Costa Rica has some wonderful poker that is playable. Canada has great poker that is playable. Uh, England, I've played over there. I've played in France. Uh, the problem with France at the time I played there, they were still allowing cigarettes in the card room and cigars, which promptly uh, led to my exit from the card room. Uh, but, there, but there's just amazing poker everywhere. Uh, I, I was just recently in India on a poker cruise, and I, while I didn't get to visit any, I did find out while I was there that they have poker rooms in India. Yeah, yeah I've played kind of in one. I played in one in Goa, uh, oh, which yeah, is that's exactly where I yeah, that's exactly where I saw it was in Goa. Yeah, I was on the west coast uh, visiting my daughter there. Uh, we and, have you know, and I, I I don't know that I think that that's such a great idea when I see the extreme poverty in that area. That you know, I I just hate that there is gambling in these extreme poverty areas. But you know, when you look at the United States, where do we put the casinos? We put them in the worst areas in town with the people who can least afford to play the games. Well, I can I can assure you, your conscience can rest easy. Goa, first of all, is the wealthiest part of India, and the people who are playing poker, all the ones that I played with, were very wealthy. The oh, rake, but also the rake was 4%, a maximum of $100. Wow. <laughs> wow. Hey, we got two minutes left. I'm talking to Jan Fisher, one of my favorite people in the poker world who has done everything. Um, one last question for you to ponder and to answer. Uh, we have a lot of listeners on the show who are young, who are up and coming, who are learning, who are eager. If you were to take a eager young poker player who saw you as his or her mentor and uh, you took them under your wing and you had a few minutes to give them some key kernels of advice and wisdom that you've learned over the last 35 years, what are a couple or three things that you would tell them about becoming a professional, a serious poker player? First of all, I would tell them not to quit their day job and to make sure that they're properly bankrolled, but to, to really have stood the test of time, to know that they can beat the game before they just go out and do it. A lot of people say, oh, it would be fun to be a professional 
poker player, but they can't even beat the game. You, you, you know, it's like, well, I want to play Major League Baseball. Well, what, what did you do to learn how to do it? Study. Get into uh, study groups. Get mentors. Get people who will talk to you about poker. Live poker. Breathe poker. Read books on it. Study it. Uh, play e- even online on, on um, some of the online sites. They have training videos and whatnot. Money management, tilt. Uh, th- these are all things that you have to master before you can even think about playing. And then most importantly, once you're in the trenches playing, always play with your brain and not your emotion. Always play within your bankroll. And, you know, if it's not working, quit doing it before it causes you disaster. Because I've, I've just seen too many people crash and burn, and it's, it's just a horrible way to go down. Oh. Uh, poker can be a wonderful augmentation to your life. It doesn't need to be your life. Well, what a great answer. And I think that we're going to give that the last word, what you've just said. And we're going to end this. But, Jan, I know there's a lot more ore to be mined here. So we're going to have to have you on again before too long. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I can't believe I've seen you twice in the last couple of weeks and gotten to talk to you on the radio. But thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to the next time we get to have a chat on the radio. Me too. That's Jan Fisher. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, listeners. Hey, Jersey, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com or leave a message at our hotline at 609-474-4627. Hi, listeners, this is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, strategy questions, they could be practical questions about where and how to find the game, send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. We're very interested in them. And of course, if they're particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of Mailbag, info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Hey, this is Dave Weishuttle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of December 10th, 2012. Well, PokerStars is looking to get back in the U.S. market in a big way. It's being reported that the online poker giant is in discussions to buy the struggling Atlantic Club Casino in Atlantic City. People familiar with the deal say it hinges in part on a bill which would legalize online gambling in New Jersey. The bill, if approved, would allow online gambling to people within New Jersey and on sites operated by Atlantic City casinos. Both houses of the state are expected to vote on the matter by the end of the year. The Nevada State Gaming Control Board voted to recommend a license for Caesars Entertainment as an interstate online poker operator. Caesars has the largest share of the U.S. physical casino market and plans to offer online poker with its World Series of Poker brand possibly next year. The next step is approval by the Nevada Gaming Commission, and if approved, Caesars would be the 17th company licensed to participate in the emerging online poker market in Nevada. And finally, some sad news out of the poker world. 
Popular author and broadcaster Lou Krieger has passed away. Lou was the author of 11 poker books and held the position of editor at Poker Player Newspaper. He was also the host of the popular internet radio show Keep Floppin' Aces, which aired on Hold'em Radio. Lou was certainly an inspiration to a generation of poker players, and he will be missed. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow House of Cards on Twitter at HOC Radio. The key to winning poker is knowledge, and winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by World Series of Poker veteran Ashley Adams, can give you that knowledge. Cash games, small tournaments, whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Now, I do some other stuff, but poker, that's the thing I do best. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And we're very lucky because two of the slot parlors in nearby Rhode Island uh, voted recently on whether or not to expand and have table games. One of them, Twin River, agreed to have table games. So we are fortunate to have on our show right now John Taylor, who is the chairman of the board of the Twin River Casino. John, are you there? I'm here. So fill our listeners in. We have listeners all over the world, but a lot of them are in New England and in Massachusetts specifically. I know I have friends that used to drive down to Twin River to play slots. What's going to happen, and when's it going to happen? So uh, on Election Day, we were fortunate enough to pass a question both statewide uh, and in the town of Lincoln, our host community, which will allow us to expand our product mix to include table games. So in addition to the 4,700 slot machines we currently have, uh, we're moving now toward implementation of uh, 65 tables, which we expect will go live kind of not later than July 1 of 2013. All right. Well, the question of the hour is this. I am in a lot of poker discussion groups, and I've been asked to sign an online petition to get you guys to get poker. Where does that stand, and what are your plans? So if if you um, put a gun to my head and ask me, you know, if we're going to open with poker uh, today, I would would say probably not, Um, you know, the reason being we are just beginning to enter into negotiations um, with kind of the unions that are affiliated with Twin River over, A, which one will ultimately represent uh, our new employees, and, and B, what, what kind of deal that we'll get. So we, we've got to kind of lock down uh, our agreements with the unions over um, kind of compensation uh, before we can determine whether – poker will be uh, economically viable for us to start with. Okay, so is there anything, because you know, people ask me, they think I know everything about the poker world, and since I'm talking to you, is there anything that poker players can do to make it more likely that eventually, if not right away, you will have a poker room? No, you know, I think um, we have a great relationship with the unions that represent our employees, uh, and there are a number of them. Which unions you know, are they? 
Um, they're the laborers. They're uh, tr- you know, building trades unite here. Um, teamsters. Uh, they, they all uh, kind of represent different aspects, uh, but they all supported us in the uh, in the referendum campaign, which was uh, quite an undertaking. And, and again, we have great relationships with them. Once um, once it's determined which union will represent the dealers. I think we'll be able to kind of sit down and have a reasoned conversation about uh, about compensation and ultimately get there. I mean, from our perspective, uh, you know, we know where they will go um, or where they would go, and uh, and we're doing the work as if you know someday they will be there. So so I'm optimistic that eventually we'll have them. I'm just not sure that it'll be uh, when we go live in July. Okay, fair enough. Um... Tell us what games you are going to have with certainty and what other things might be part of this new license and really expansion of your place. So um, we are in the process of submitting uh, our plans to the uh, state lottery uh, for approval. Uh, And at a high level, uh, we're planning blackjack, uh, craps, roulette, uh, maybe mini baccarat uh, to start. I see. And beyond that, uh, what we've what we've said all along uh, is that you know this activity is going to be built within the existing four walls of uh, of Twin River, uh, and and beyond that, we're really going to let the market kind of tell us what it uh, needs. You know, so whether that be um, you know different kind of food and beverage outlets, um, you know, or other amenities, uh, we're, we're really going to kind of listen to what the market tells us. We will. Uh, most likely uh, be expanding our VIP Players Club to accommodate what we hope will be uh, a, a, number, a significant number of, of new players who come and play with us. How does that work now? Do you have a player's card? Do you have different tiers? How do you do your Players yeah, Club now? We, we, have a, we have a typical, we have a, a typical Players Club uh, that you might, you might see at, uh, at, at most casinos. Our, our challenge is that uh, our tax rate on slot machines is uh, 62.5% of every oh. revenue dollar. Oh, my God. And then we pay another 10%, uh, effectively another 10% for technology. So we're operating that facility uh, with just oh, just under 28%, uh, 28 cents of every revenue dollar. So our ability to effectively market has been somewhat constrained now uh, our partners in state government uh, when we um, kind of went to them and uh, and talked about putting the question on the ballot and talked about tax rate our tax rate on table games will be far more um, reasonable which will allow us some flexibility some incremental flexibility on marketing so we're uh, we're hopeful that we're able to kind of enhance our efforts in that respect with uh, with the implementation of tables. John, I got to tell you, I have never I I know a lot about a lot of casinos. I've spoken to the folks in Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, California, New Mexico, Arizona, Massachusetts. I have never heard of a tax rate above fifty percent ever. Well, now you have. Yeah. Wow. So really, what? the state is getting the lion's share. Of the revenue there, correct, and they're and they're our partner. And and uh, over the last couple of years, we've been able to kind of develop a better working relationship with the state. I'll, I'll say this: our numbers last year, we were up uh, over nine percent. I think the casinos in Connecticut were both uh, down 
you know, four or five or six percent in the first eight months of this year. We've, we're up five percent. They're both down. I mean, we've been effectively able to compete with two of the world's largest casinos with a with a with a very disadvantaged uh, tax rate, and and you know, it's in part because we were able to do some kind of marketing programs in partnership with the state. It's also due to the fact that we spend a lot of time training our employees how to deliver a great great customer experience. And, and we know that's the differentiator on a go forward basis with Massachusetts on the horizon, that we've we've got to we've got to show our players um, you know, a far better experience. And given that we have nine hundred employees today and probably thirteen hundred when we implement tables, uh, we, we have the ability to create a far more intimate experience just because we have fewer employees to kind of uh, engage with players. Well, okay, let me just speak as a as a typical gambler from Massachusetts. Let's even assuming you don't have poker. Why would I, from Massachusetts, come down to Twin River when there's going to be one closer to home uh, in Massachusetts eventually and one further away that I'm already familiar with that I've been going to for 10 years in Foxwoods? Why would I stop at Twin River? I mean, I hear you saying intimate customer service, but what are the things that are motivated, uh, well-trained staff person can do for me that's going to make this experience worth detouring out of my way or driving out of my way? Well, well, first of all, we have players that are doing that today. If you, if you look at our numbers, if you look at the market share increases we've experienced over the last three or four years just based with slots and a disadvantaged tax rate, um, you know, what, we, what we believe is that we're delivering uh, a great customer experience and a great facility with great amenities. Uh, and I think with tables, that's only going to be more, uh, more enhanced. Well, what are some of the great amenities? Uh, multiple, you know, fine dining restaurants, comedy clubs, um, uh, you know, self-serve uh, restaurants. We, we, have, we have a number of eateries there. It's, it's, it's really a very comfortable place. It's really a very convenient place to get to, even if I don't know, you know, I don't know where you're based in, uh, in Massachusetts. I live in the city of Boston. It's a very convenient, you know, it's a very convenient place for people in the greater Boston area to get to. It's, you know, 93 to 93 to 95 to 295 to 146, and you're in the parking lot. And it, it, it even, you know, even with some of the some of the locations being contemplated uh, in Massachusetts by the Gaming Commission right now, it, it still may be easier for people to get to us and more convenient, uh, particularly at certain times of the day, depending on where they site these facilities. Huh. Well, you know, I'll have to check it out. When do you expect? You think July will be your soft opening or your grand opening? So we'll we'll open. Uh, we, we think we'll be open before then. So you know, call our grand opening in July. If you think about what we have to do, we have to recruit, hire, train, license uh, 350 plus new employees. The state has to promulgate rules and regulations. Um, you know, so so if you if you kind of factor all that in together, we think July one is a good you know outside date. But we're going to do everything we can to pull it forward. And I think you'll hear a lot about this uh, over the next uh, coming months, and your and your listeners will as well. Well, we have a lot of people who are unemployed or marginally employed. If they wanted to work in the gaming industry at Twin River, what would they do? Um, go to our website at uh, twinrivercasino.com 
and uh, and fill out uh, fill out an application. We uh, we've had our first job fair. I think maybe after the first year, we we may have a, a second. I will I will tell you that within the first week, we kind of took in over three thousand applications. Oh my goodness! Um, you know, some of those some of those folks experienced, some of those folks uh, not experienced. But we're you know we're, we we need a variety of of, of types of uh, of folks. We need dealers. We need financial types we need cage personnel um, you know security surveillance so, so we have a we have a wide range of, uh, of, of folks that we need uh, and initially we thought we'd need about 350 and, and that number seems to be growing as we begin to kind of put pencil to paper to uh, to build uh, to build out the plan it sounds interesting especially with the relatively high unemployment rate historically speaking you'll probably get a lot of applicants and I'm thinking about the fact that these are not just low-wage jobs that you often see in the service industry. These are relatively good-paying, unionized jobs that you don't have necessarily at the other casinos in the area. No, with, uh, you're exactly right. With, with benefits uh, and, and tips, you know, some, of these, some of these folks could earn $50,000, $60,000 a year, which in Rhode Island, which has the second-highest unemployment rate in the country, um, you know that that's meaningful, and it was one of the messages that we uh, conveyed uh, during the campaign that you know these were jobs, they were well-paying jobs in, a, in an in an environment and an economy that really needed them. Well, I am eager to see you succeed so much that you say, "Hey, we're doing so well, we're going to have a poker room too." And even for folks who don't play poker, it sounds like you're going to have a good place if you have a soft opening and you have a press event. Please make sure to invite us. I'd love to come down, and I could bring a few other people down to experience it and then talk about it in the blogosphere about what a great place Twin River will be when you have your table games. Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity. Thank you, John. That was John Taylor, who is the chairman of the board of directors of Twin River, which has just been voted in to be allowed to have table games, which they expect to have a grand opening by uh, July or maybe not until August of 2013. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after taking a quick break. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16 at adamandeve.com. The key to winning poker is knowledge. And winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by World Series of Poker veteran Ashley Adams, can give you that knowledge. Cash games, small tournaments, 
Whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Here's the wonderful Joan Rivers with her thoughts on poker players. And your people, you give money with blood on it. I met your people in Vegas for 40 years. None of them have last names. None of them. They have cash fulls of You're a poker player. A poker player. That's, That's awesome. beyond white trash. Poker players oh, are poker the most players. awesome people poker in the world. Poker players are trash, darling. Trash. House of Cards, proudly serving your white trash needs since 2007. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I'm joined in studio with Dave Weishattle, my producer, for my favorite segment, Mailbag. So what do we got, Dave? Well, we talked about your trip to Las Vegas. I think we talked about where you stayed, where you ate. Where I ate, yeah. But the most important thing I, I, I think we skipped over, the reason why you went out was to watch the final table at the World Series. And uh, That's right. So what do you think? Well, a couple of things. First of all... Uh, as I've said before, anybody who loves poker, uh, certainly as much as I do, if there are any people that love it as much as I do, even if you're not really serious poker players, but you just have a home game, but you love it and you watch it on TV, you got to go out for the main event of the World Series. you got to see it. you got to go out for the World Series of Poker. And this is another event worth seeing. Tickets are free. Mm-hmm. Now, I was lucky enough I had a press pass, so I got to sit in the inner circle and got to go up on stage. Oh, that's I, cool. I didn't go up on stage, <laughs> okay. but I sat with some people in the press section. Um, but watching the event, I mean, it's great to be there and to see everything for 10, 15, 20 minutes, which my buddies did with me. They sat with me. Mm-hmm. But it's not great poker to watch because you don't know what the hands are, yeah, even, even after they're folded. I mean, if you're watching it on TV, at least you see the hand when it's folded so you can put yeah. together what the guy was doing and whether he was bluffing or whether he was uh, calling, whatever. But you don't know that when you're live. Mm-hmm. You do meet interesting people when yeah. you're live. Mm-hmm. You do get a sense of the party atmosphere of it. I mean, each of the players at the final table had his rooting section there. Okay. Because, uh, you know, he knows he's guaranteed whatever it was, 750000 which has already been paid out. So I think all these guys flew and put up, you know, their uh, their posse. Yeah, essentially, well, we see their uh, families in the audience, yeah. their wives, and right who I think have this mo- more of a pained look on their face than their husbands or whoever's playing for them. For me, I mean, if it were me, I, it's not at all stressful yeah. in, in, to be a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want the guy to do better, but even if he gets blown out first, uh, you're still guaranteed seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for essentially ten days of work. Um, it was fun. I what happened though is I went. When it was nine players, saw a couple of guys get knocked out. Then I left. Then I came back the next day. It was three. 
I stayed for about two hours. The play was very slow and methodical, although these were really young guys. Yeah, Greg yeah. was the oldest, the guy that won Greg Merson, but the other guys were very young. They played like an old like old men. <laughs> they played very, I, I thought, very conservatively. You know, some people in the blogosphere uh, argued that they were, you know, they got lucky. Sure, they got lucky and all that, but they played quite conservatively. You figure they played for hours and hours and mm-hmm. hours. So I left. I'm impressed you stayed for two hours. I stayed for two hours. I, I, I have to tell you, not only do you not see the whole cards, I, I, I've i seen a couple of filmed tournaments at parks and at the Borgata. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's grueling. It's it, First off, you can't see some of their faces. Right. You know, so they're sitting in a circle. So right. you're missing a whole. But when the they time. had three of them, yeah. the three are positioned in a very um, scant semicircle. Okay. So it's almost like they're in a straight line. Oh, okay. That's not bad. And what I noticed, my wife is something called an Alexander teacher, where she's uh, focused on how people use their bodies, that Greg, who was in the middle, I thought had an advantage because he didn't have to see the other players on an angle. Hmm. The other two guys were always looking uh, to their right or to their left, and to me it would hurt your posture after a while. You would get a sore neck or sore shoulders or sore back. But in any event, I stayed there for two hours watching them. That was enough. I went home. Home. I went down to the <laughs> cheapest hotel in Las Vegas, Arizona Charlie's on Boulder Highway. Watched they, it on they have TV. the greatest names of places down there. Arizona Charlie's. That's they, right. What a great name. Well, there are two. There's one on Decatur and there's one on Boulder. I stayed at the one on Boulder because it was only like Arizona Charlie's a franchise, a night. huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, a franchise. it's a franchise. So I went back to my room in uh, Arizona Charlie's, watched it on TV till about 2 in the morning. Eventually went to sleep. It was still three players. It hadn't even gotten heads up. Fell asleep. Woke up at about 6 in the morning. This is, of course, mm-hmm. Pacific time. Yeah. They were still at it. It oh, wasn't it, over. I think it was, they won early in the morning. So I got dressed. Okay. Rushed over. <laughs> got there just as the last hand had been settled. And the confetti was still falling down in the room. <laughs> I came in. I saw everybody cheering and applauding and congratulating each other. I went on stage. I saw Nolan Dalla, who's the uh, press person for the World Series, and he was, I mean, he'd been up there without taking a break. He was wiped out but very happy to see me, and I saw a few other people that I know from the poker world, and, and that was it. So it was a fun experience, but it's not one that I feel compelled to go to every year. Much more fun was the Poker Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. That was great. That was uh, Eric Drake uh, was inducted and Sailor Roberts was inducted posthumously. And uh, Crandall Addington was Mm -hmm. there to accept the award and talk about Sailor. Sailor was, uh, I think, the personal choice of Doyle Brunson. He was one of his running guys. They played together on the road with Slim, Amarillo Slim. I sat next to Doyle. In fact, sit next to Doyle. We talked a little bit about the induction ceremony. Uh, there were a lot of big-name guys there who I said hello to. Some had been on the show, some hadn't. Um, and it was it was great to see the great historic players inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that was terrific. What is the Poker Hall of Fame? I mean, is it a structure that you walk into? Is it just, you know, is it like oh, a yeah, football yeah, yeah. Hall of Fame? It's or at or Binion's. T- tell me about it. It's, well, yeah. it's at Binion's. Okay. It's, I mean, the physical Hall of Fame is really just a wall <laughs> with portraits of these great players, mm-hmm. there aren't that many. I mean, there are 40-something. 
They have their portraits. And every year, there is a two-stage process for deciding on the inductees. There's a preliminary process where a slate of potential candidates are named. Who votes on that, anyway? There are some poker journalists Mm -hmm. and members of the hall itself. Okay. So the living members, obviously, the dead members of the hall don't vote. (laughs) But the living members of the hall and some poker journalists, poker writers, I'm not on the inner circle, but they vote. And there's a lot of lobbying that goes on. Uh, I know this year... There was some question about Tom McAvoy, mm-hmm. and uh, Sailor Roberts was kind of a dark horse. He wasn't on the tip of everybody's tongue. He's not in the poker universe anymore, of course. He's uh, passed away in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but Doyle played with him, thought he deserved it. Doyle is enormously respected for lots of good reason. Is he and a voter, too? or I think he is. He would have to be. He's, he's like a member of the guy. Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's the guy. So. The members of living members of the Hall of yeah, Fame, so yeah. he's one of them. Uh, and... He was successful in getting the large enough percentage for people to vote for Sailor. And so they were inducted, and it was fun to be there. I was hoping it had been taped because uh, Nolan approached me, and he said, look, we're going to ask for questions at the press conference here. And we, mm-hmm. and so I, I asked the first question. Um, <laughs> what was the question? I don't remember, which is why <laughs> I was hoping that there was some tape of the press conference, but I don't think there is. I think it's lost to history. Is this a museum that you can walk into? You see the bracelets of the... No, no, as I said, this press conference was held at the Rio. Okay. Right in front of where they had the final table, Mm -hmm. uh, the Penn and Teller Theater. Okay. Um, But the museum is not a museum. The Hall of Fame is just a wall in Binion's where people's pictures are affixed. So we plan on going to it next year, or is this... I'm going to the World Series. I don't think I'm going to go to the final table unless... You know, I'm on it. <laughs> you go, eh? There you go. Unless I'm playing. Uh, but that'll do it. Uh, listeners, we're going to be back next week. Please uh, come back. And in the meantime, good night, good day, and uh, good luck. podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com